Happy Friday, everyone. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode because we bring on some really special guests that highlight what I believe to be the most important aspect of our club. So with that being said, I hope you guys take a well-deserved break from studying for finals and enjoy listening. Okay, hello everyone. For this week's episode, we have our awareness ambassadors with us, Carl and Mena. Um, hi guys. Hi, good to be here. Hi, it's also good to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm sure you've met Carl, but I know you've never heard from Mena. So I'm going to put you on the spotlight a little bit first and then Carl can go after. Can you tell me like, maybe I always ask my, our guests one thing, like what program are they in? And um, if you want to kind of elaborate on how you found this club and why you chose this club, Lana? For sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I'm in conflict studies and human rights. I'm actually in final semester. Um, when I came to U Ottawa, I wanted to, you know, do a meaningful volunteering experience. I have always been passionate about children and um, about, you know, humanitarian crises worldwide, um, which is kind of a feature of my program. So that fits very well. Uh, I found UNICEF, I think, through a poster um, or through their website, I'm not sure. Um, I just came to their first meeting. I immediately felt like that was the club I belonged to. Um, I was a regular volunteer for a year and then I applied to be the awareness ambassador because I am just passionate about, you know, learning about what's happening in the world and raising awareness about it and teaching others about what happens and what they can do. Uh, and it's been it's been one of the good things about my university experience. Yeah, for sure. We're so, so grateful like to meet you because you have definitely shed a light on some really, really important topics. But more importantly, you're just so passionate and that's great to see. But um, yeah, Carl, what about you? No problem. Carl, what about yourself? Uh, so I'm in marketing currently, which might seem a bit unrelated in terms of a program level to UNICEF's work. Um, I think I just saw club posters or like postings online and I knew a few people who were already in the club, which sort of like was how I was introduced to it. Um, the part that resonated for me was uh, like often when I visited Lebanon when I was younger, I used to see these UNICEF posters and it often resonated with values such as like helping children sort of looking to the future and just like the humanistic and work that they were doing there. Um, and then seeing those same posters at the University of Ottawa just made me add the dots together. When I saw that there was a exec position open for awareness ambassador, I felt like that really resonated with what, with what I sort of wanted to do and some of my interests. Um, I've always been someone who's been really attentive sort of on the issues that are going on and to be able to have an avenue to put that into and sort of share what I know and what I could know with other people is really what I wanted to do. Um, it might not go hand in hand with my program, but I just found it really interesting to sort of have a role at the university that touched on things that I wasn't learning on um, and just, yeah, had a more altruistic goal at the end. That's amazing. I think that's really like, not, I would say cool, might, might be the word, right, wrong word there, but that you do have a, like a background in marketing. Um, 
but like you said this club just kind of like stood out to you and you came out here even though and that makes you so much more unique in the club and I love that but um kind of going more I guess about our choosing our crises for the year so like a really quick run through for anyone who doesn't know about UNICEF Uwandawa we pick like a, a, a crisis international that we always donate to. Um, and can you guys talk more about how, how do we really select this cause and why, what kind of, like, how do you guys um, tell the volunteers what cause, like, do you have an input? Like, how does that kind of go? Uh, sure, so I can take this one. Um, at like UNICEF U Ottawa, I guess we feel that volunteers really are so fundamental to our club and sort of what we do. Um, as the awareness ambassadors, it's sort of our role to like get this information and always be on top of it. But in order for the volunteers to feel like the work that they're doing really has an end goal or to sort of see what, what it will lead to, um, we start the semester by presenting some of UNICEF's key crises, some of the key facts, sort of our own opinions about it, and then we get them to vote. Um, I guess UNICEF or the Yemen crisis is obviously such a big one because it's been our chosen crisis for volunteers for the last three years. So after presenting all of this info, it's sort of up to them to vote. And yeah, it's been the, the call selected by them for the last three years. Yeah, um, and have you guys ever selected any other causes back in previous years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the year before, um, and that was before I was involved, but we had one on the Rohingya crisis, which is obviously huge. And there are so many crises out there that it almost feels weird to like put them up and have them pick one as sort of the the goal or the one that they select um, but it's been the Rohingya crisis and then the Yemen crisis for three years but really no matter how much we do there's still so much work to be done and we're really just a drop in the bucket but every little bit helps so no matter what the cause is every year it's the end goal is always to help out children across the world in whatever way we can. And I believe uh, it was the Syrian crisis the year before Rohingya so yeah, it, everyone has always tried to keep it very, you know, diverse. As Carl says, it's really hard. It's not a competition. The sufferings are not, you know, comparable. It's all very terrible. Um, but yeah, the Yemen crisis, because it's the largest humanitarian crisis of our time, it has gotten a lot of attention in the club. Yeah, for sure. As long as I've been involved, we've been doing the Yemen crisis for the past two years, and I've just felt so passionate about it. But kind of focusing more on that crisis, um, what is the state of the children's education currently, like in Yemen, and like how is that affecting just children in general over there? Yeah, I can talk about that a bit. So, um, as you know, the civil war in Yemen, the conflict began twenty fourteen. By twenty fifteen, it was a full out civil war with proxy actors. Um, it has been a terrible situation. Yemen was the poorest country in the Middle East even before the crisis happened. And so it was hit very hard by everything that happened. Uh, I was looking at data and I read that uh, 2 million children were out of school due to the crisis, due to the civil war. Uh, and this is before COVID. And now that COVID has hit, and extra 5 million are actually out of school, um, which is devastating. And what happens when children are out of school is that we, we see a form of, you know, a poverty trap as well as a conflict trap, because if children are not able to learn what they need to actually, um, you know, grow out of that situation to um, go to university, get 
a more a higher paying job do something different from what the older generations have been doing then this is just going to keep going and so education is really important and it is one of the uh, one of the topics that unicef has been investing on in the yemen region Mm-hmm. And I, I like, really like like how the fact that you highlighted that it's a poverty trap, that it is some like what like a trap, but like my follow-up question would be why is education the first thing to go when, for example, a civil war breaks out and what can we do about that? Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll start talking about this. Um, just to like what Mona said really is the key. It's sort of that idea that children there's almost what's coined like a lost generation, children who are deprived the right to grow up under normal circumstances, to go to school, and they miss out on having the same sort of childhood, the same opportunities that people before them had, as well as children have in other countries. And then just them losing out on that is so crucial for those children and for Yemen in general, because it misses out the chance to have like a normal or the next, uh, the next at the next row of adults or like its civilization but its um, population really experiencing what a normal childhood would be like and the same education opportunities as other children um in a civil war obviously the first thing to go is often education because you tend to close down the things that are easiest to we saw similar effects with the covid pandemic uh, obviously there's a risk when people aren't socially distanced but often education like healthcare, things like that suffer Firstly, because of uh, infrastructure loss, often you have schools that are like destroyed, fighting and things cause schools to shut down. And then that really limits the ability of these uh, people to go to schools, maybe not as much in Yemen, but in other crises, you also have a lot of the population leaving, such as refugees. And then you have lost tiers in terms of them settling in new areas and for them to get integrated in those countries and then go to school where they have a language barrier means that they often don't have those opportunities to education. Um, UNICEF really highlights the importance of education because it is what's needed to sort of allow these children to have a normal um, childhood and to sort of have the opportunities to grow and to continue developing. So it's often one of the first things to go and then you only start to see the effects of it in a few years. Um, But it's really one of UNICEF's key focus. And I think it really, it's one of the long-term effects that, that we tend to focus or that needs to be focused on a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, like you said, education, like you'll see the effects of it long term, correct? Like, it's just crazy. Um, But how long has this crisis been going on? And how long do you think like the long term effects are going to affect this country? Um, I kind of touched on this. Um, It's been going on since 2014, 2015. uh, And it hasn't been getting, you know, much better because there are so many actors involved and um, there are an increasing number of people in need of desperate humanitarian uh, you know, assistance just to survive. Um, currently, there are 24 million people in need of assistance and that's 80% of the population. Uh, and you can just think about half of those are children. Uh, Yemen is a very young country and just imagining how um, how much of an effect that has uh, the lost generation that Carl touched on. That's very true in terms of the long-term effect, uh, long-term effects. It's the conflict isn't just about, you know, the war, the, kill, the killing. It's also about um, the poverty that it brings. It's also about the diseases. Um, cholera has come back, measles, diarrhea, and couple those with COVID-19. 
the infrastructure of the country is virtually gone. Uh, it is it is very frightening. Like if the international community doesn't do anything, Yemen can just be wiped off the maps. The country, the situation is really, really serious. Yeah, um, I can't imagine, like you said, if it's going to be wiped off. And I think UNICEF's work is so important. And that's why it's been our cause for the past, like, what, two or three years now. Um, but can we talk more about like the initiatives that UNICEF is doing to help out um, in Yemen, but then also more specifically what UNICEF UOttawa is doing like right here, what are we doing to kind of support people in Yemen and especially children in Yemen? Uh, so as with many crises, UNICEF sort of lays out a framework of the key issues that they want to address. Often these are um, like education, malnutrition, health, ensuring that people have the basics that they need. Uh, I think it's first a step, like a, the first process is looking at what's really needed to survive. So providing vaccines, providing food, because obviously education is important, but in the critical moments, it's really aspects such as like whether children are malnutrition. And I believe up to 80% of the population needs help. Um, and a lot of these are children. So the first steps that UNICEF does in Yemen is sort of providing vaccines, providing, um, yeah, just the basic nutrition that's needed to keep these children and uh, other the, the general population alive. And then it's sort of more of a long-term focus. Um, often they go hand in hand when you have something like the Yemen crisis that's been going on now as like a full-blown civil war for five years, you sort of have that continuing need to provide children with health care, with vaccines and nutrition, but you also have to start looking at the long-term effects of the conflict. And that's when the importance of education and sort of long-term rehabilitation of these children comes in. So at UNICEF UAuto, we realized that we're one club at one university. Um, all of our efforts are channeled into raising awareness about the issue. Uh, we believe that the more people that know about it, the better. It's people who know about crises tend to be more empathetic towards them. Um, and then we also take a fundraising approach. So throughout the year, we run events and really our key goal is to fundraise for these key crises. Um, as we've mentioned a few times, Yemen has been our ongoing selected cause for a few years now. So it's really taking a fundraising approach to making sure that we can try to help UNICEF's cause in terms of both awareness and the funds that we raise. Yeah, and I think the reasons, sorry, sorry. Go, no, go on. Uh, one of the reasons um, Yemen has been very important for both us as a club and UNICEF as an organization is that so many of the deaths that happen in the country are preventable. Um, I've said this before in our awareness presentations, but every 10 minutes, one child dies of a preventable cause in Yemen. And knowing that, saying that it is preventable, that just means, you know, money is the problem in today's world. And the more fundraising projects we have, the more awareness we raise so that people are willing to help. And that actually means it is a direct impact on the country. It's not like something that we are just hoping to see. It's not an, an idealistic approach. It is really something that's happening on the ground and we can help it with every dollar that we spend on it. Yeah, and like you said, every dollar counts, right? Like in raising that awareness. I remember my own presentation when you gave that at Alvaro and Tara led um, meetings 
it, like it hits you right like when you say every 10 minutes a child dies or a preventable cause like you you can do something about that and that's crazy just to think but shifting gears a little bit um so let's talk about the other crises um and is there any that kind of stand out to you guys for any personal reasons or just something you believe needs more attention um and that really hasn't been talked about and i'm sure at UNICEFU Ottawa, we promote a lot of our awareness to our meetings, but like this would be the perfect time to kind of highlight one that you think deserves more attention. Um, so I think it's hard to say like one crisis deserves more attention than another for sure. But um, unfortunately, and I mean, being from the Middle East, it's always like a bit sad to open up the UNICEF key crises page and notice that most of them or a lot of them are in the Middle East. Um, so we've had the Syrian crisis that's been ongoing for a while. Uh, the Yemen one, both of them sort of sprung with the Arab Spring. But um, recently, there's been the crisis in Lebanon. And I believe that was the newest one added to the UNICEF key crises list. Uh, so that, or it was, there have been ongoing problems in the country for a while. Um, we're a bipartisan club, so I'm not going to get into any politics. But um yeah, there's been a severe, like there have been severe problems undermining the country's ability to provide for its population as well as to grow for quite a few years. Um, you couple that with high inflation and then one of the biggest recorded blasts in history. And that just lays all of the framework needed for like a UNICEF crisis. Uh, so that's another one that UNICEF is sort of working on. Um, as I mentioned, I, I've been seeing UNICEF posters in Lebanon since I can remember uh, always in areas that are really affected by poverty or sort of the ongoing effects of the civil war. So um, yeah, I just, I personally, I whenever I see it and I see all of these crises in the Middle East, it sort of reminds me of how much work needs to be done in the area, sort of how many undermining problems there are. And despite all of the politics and all of the sort of opinions that everyone has, often the the population or the people that suffer the most are children and they don't really have a say they're not the ones that start conflicts. They, they're not really the ones that change it, but they tend to suffer the most, both in terms of the opportunities that they're getting, education, as well as just their general health and safety. Um, so yeah, that's something that's always resonated with me. Um, I think Mona can expand on some of the other key crises or what other work we've, we've been doing. For sure, yeah. Um, just like Carl, I'm from the Middle East as well. So uh, what's happening in the region has always been close to my heart. Um, for me personally, refugee crises and displacement crises are a big deal, um, especially in the Middle East. Many people might not know this, but actually the countries that receive the most, the greatest number of refugees are themselves you know, developing countries, poor countries, relatively. It's not the, you know, the North America, Europe, Western Europe that keep talking about how many refugees they're going to take in. And, you know, at the end, they've taken 4,000. Uh, like Turkey has taken in 4 million refugees, Syrian refugees. And it's, it's just um, on a whole other scale in the region. And I think displacement is something that is very hurtful when you think about it deeply, just thinking about not having a home at all, like not having the vision of going back home because there is no home to go back to. 
and it's not just about you know a place it's about your identity you you lose everything in 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 that journey when you're leaving home and it it you know to see that coupled with diseases with poverty with lack of education all that uh, so I think refugee crises are something to think about very closely and uh, UNICEF has been always involved with these things. Uh, it is, uh, and this is not just about the Middle East, obviously the, the Latin American refugee crises are big. The um, lack of safety in many of those countries um, has been devastating in the, in the past decades, if not you know, longer. Um, and UNICEF has usually been trying to provide safety regardless of where the populations are going, where they're coming from, and that's really close to my heart. Yeah, um, and kind of going more on like how you said refugees crises are very important and there's so many. I remember that this one time you had this presentation um, about child brides. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times, you know, stuff we always talk about education, but we really focus on children as a whole, right? And their safety, their security, um, and their education. So um, it's like, you can either elaborate on child brides or any other, um, I guess, barriers you see them to develop and to develop healthily. I'd love to talk about child brides um, and grooms. Uh, it's important to, to note that it's, it's girls and boys. Uh, for sure, it affects girls more than boys. So um, just for people who love data like me, uh, there are currently 650 million uh, child brides uh, in the world. Uh, you know, these are young women who got married under the age of 18. And even though it affects boys less, there are still 115 million boys uh, who were married and before the age of 18. So it is a big problem. Uh, it mostly affects, um, it has the greatest you know, rates in Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. But South Asia has actually been able to um, lower its rate at, at a much higher um, rate. Um, the progress has been much faster than other areas in the world, which is hopeful. Uh, the problem you know, with um, child marriage is that it it, it's not only just a violation of human rights, um, it's also taking away that child's right to other things. Uh, it's not only itself, you know, a violation, it causes greater violations because when a child gets married, they usually don't go to school, they usually have to work. So, you know, you bring child labor into this, you bring that um, loss of education into this. And this goes back to the poverty trap, you know, when children get married, when they don't get the education, that they, they don't actually receive the information to know that child marriage is harmful. So they become, they, they have children at young ages, they become the parents that send off their children again to get married at young ages because they don't have the money. You know, poverty is one of the biggest causes of child marriage. It's not because, you know, parents don't love their children. It's just because one extra mouth to feed is just too much and they feel like they might be helping the child by letting them go to a house in, ter in terms of the brides especially letting her go to the house of someone who's rich who's older who has some money to protect her um and with child grooms it's it's you know it's doubly bad because grooms are usually taken you know when when a child is uh, a child groom 
it's not to an older woman, it's to another child bride. So yeah, it is a, a terrible situation. UNICEF is hoping to eliminate it by 2030, but it's, it's a very, very, very hopeful and optimistic goal because they say themselves that for this to happen, the progress that has been happening in the past decade needs to actually become 17 times faster if we want to eliminate it by 2030. So they're just trying their best. I think one of the um, one of the interesting things for me or one of the key factors for UNICEF's efforts to sort of eliminate it is that it's done through education, both by educating parents about like why they shouldn't marry their child brides, but also by empowering these children themselves by offering them an education. Uh, so I was looking at one of the examples that UNICEF was sort of providing education and uh, activities to do for Syrian refugees in Lebanon. And it was just educating them about the risks of all of these factors, like just, um, yeah, just giving them a general education, but also about teaching them how to protect themselves from harm um, and child marriage was really important because it's sort of like empowering these younger children to pursue education. Uh, not that they're the ones that, that take the decision of getting married, but really empowering these generations is sort of UNICEF's approach. So it's a very education focused um, approach, not only to the parents, but also to the children themselves and sort of showing how giving these children an education and letting them grow and develop normally is sort of the better outcome for everyone than just marrying them off when they're really young. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like you said, what's one, like education is a great approach, but for someone like who's a volunteer or any students or anyone who's listening to this, how can they help out um, and just give back in these, in these times? Or what can they do at a smaller scale at their scale? Um, I, I think it depends on what they can do, um, but some of the approaches you can take, raising awareness is always important. Uh, it might seem like, okay, so who cares what's happening? It, it matters because when there is public pressure on governments to do something about these world crises, that will happen. Think about social movements. You know, it doesn't start by everyone suddenly feeling they need to they need to do something. It just starts by one person feeling the discontent and starting that wave. Uh, so raising awareness is always important. Read about it, share information about these crises, talk to your friends about it. It might bore some people, but you know, if if you are passionate about it, the people you care about will become passionate about it. And um, if you have the money, donate. I mean, uh, it's it might not feel like a big deal to you, but every dollar counts, we already said it. And you can uh, visit UNICEF's website. There is a shop there. It actually like allows you to like buy 70 vaccines for like $15. It's very effective. It's, um, it's even crazy. Like if you follow a form of, uh, there's a philosophy called effective altruism, it's, which is about, you know, if you don't actually essentially need something for your life, then you, you should donate that money because someone else's life might actually depend on it. And when I visit, you know, UNICEF's shop, I actually feel, oh my God, like with the money I can buy dinner, I can save 70 ch ch children's lives. That's, that's not a choice you know, I'm, 
I'm going to, going to think about. That's something obvious to me. I should do that. So if you can donate money and um, yeah, talk to others. What do you think, Carl? Um, so evidently the end goal is to fundraise. I mean, like it's, it's the ethos of our club. We want to send as much help as we can to UNICEF to help out with these crises. But I think awareness and just being educated and knowing about what's happening is so important. Um, instead of just like, if someone just donates $5, that, that's very helpful. But if they know about what's happening and they can sort of, I mean, no one, no one can really know, like it, we have the privilege of not knowing what it's like to be in those situations. But understanding that there are these crises that are going on just means that you tend to have a more long-term relationship. Like you'll always sort of have that on your mind. So just, I think awareness is such a key factor, knowing what's going on, where the biggest crises are, where in the world people need help um, is critical as well. Um, donate whenever you can, or like join, I mean, joining a club like UNICEF helps because you sort of get to leverage what you want to do and what you can do and try to get more people involved in um, lead events that eventually lead to fundraising. So while the money is obviously critical, sending those donations is what leads to eventual outcomes. As Mona said, like at the end of the day, since so many of these are preventable, what's often needed is capital. And every year UNICEF sets a monetary target um, for 2020 with COVID and obviously what's already going on, that total is above 500 million USD. So there's obviously a big financial need and that's sort of one of the aspects that's helpful but also just being aware of what's happening, being up to date with the crises and being able to share that with people who ask or just bringing it up sort of helps with that. Because the more people that know about, for example, what's happening in Yemen, the more likely you are to have people donating. So I think they go hand in hand. I really, go ahead. I am sorry. Uh, if you don't know where to start, you know, just volunteer with a club like us, you know, other clubs that work in humanitarian aid, because there's always someone to guide you to, to show you where the information is, to show you where you can donate. And if you really don't have the money, that's fine. Volunteering is a form of giving. And by the time you spend, that is your contribution to, you know, making the world a better place. And I really like the fact that you just said volunteering is a time of giving and there are so many educational resources that you can um, look out for. Um, and I know Carl and I work, our website is currently working on highlighting all the awareness factors um, and everything, but what are some other good resources people can kind of reach out to if they just want to learn more? Because I think the first step is just learning. Uh, so... I mean, evidently, we, we think like something like UNICEF is a good place to start, um, just like opening UNICEF's Canada page, looking sort of what they post and what they're focusing on. But I think even going a step above that. So whenever I see a crisis, I like to sort of understand the background behind it, um, just to sort of envision what's going on and then really know, yeah, just what the situation's like. I mean, it's also out of general curiosity, drawing comparisons to Lebanon in the Middle East in general. But um, I think just educating yourself, going on some of these pages like UNICEF, then just going that step further to really know the holistic approach of what's happening is helpful. Um, social media is a great tool. Following something simply like UNICEF Canada um, means that you always get a notification of what's happening. 
Um, and then there are a lot of more humanitarian pages and just news sources as well. So it's just expanding from like maybe one source to sort of understanding more what's going on and getting used to doing that for every crisis or everything that pops up. And if you're looking for a more kind of fun way to help, um, there's actually this website called Free Rice. It's operated by the World Food Program. Um, it's not related to UNICEF, but we're all under the umbrella of UN. So, I mean, brothers. Um, and it is, uh, it is basically a game. It has various categories and um, it's, it gives you multiple choice questions. And the, with every right answer you get, you donate 10 grains of rice. Uh, and it, it is, you know, it's an ad operated website. You don't do anything. You just play and you can fill bowls for, for people who, who are hungry and who need help. This is, you know, Yemen as well. This is um, Venezuela as well. This is a lot of the crises that UNICEF works with. So that would be, I think, something a lot of people might find interesting. I found it very interesting myself. Yeah, no, for sure. Thank you guys so much for highlighting those resources. And thank you again for taking the time to come out and like be on this podcast and talk about something that is so, there's so much like layers of depth and, and to understand it. So I just want to say a huge thank you for you guys for coming out today. Is there anything you guys wanted to leave our volunteers with, um, especially because they're the ones giving back our time? anyone else listening to this podcast um, when it comes to anything about crises or helping out or donating their time? Um, so, I mean, thanks to anyone listening. I think just any way of giving your time, any way of sort of giving back is helpful. Being more aware, donating, volunteering, just putting your efforts in whatever way is possible, given your circumstances or what you can do is helpful. Um, at the end of the day, doing anything is better than like nothing at all. So it's really just thinking about what steps can be taken, um, being educated or knowing about what's going on. Um, if you have the, if you have access to resources, is such a simple step and something that that I think is really helpful. So yeah, it's just about doing whatever you can, getting involved in in whatever ways you can. But a, a club like UNICEF U Ottawa is a great way to start. I would also say um, don't you know give up hope uh, it's not the best time especially now to be hopeful it's not the easiest time to be hopeful but it is one of the you know most important times to be hopeful because uh, if you give up hope um, it, it gets dark really fast right and there are so many people in need of help that sometimes knowing about that that knowledge actually leads us to lose hope. But it's important to not forget that even the little things you do are having an impact. You might not see it yourself, but it's it's the ripple effect and it's a chain of people like you who help and who try to make this world a better place that will ultimately hopefully work. Um, so don't give up when you are fundraising and someone says, no, don't worry about it. And someone else will say yes. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, and I really hope that this podcast is something like of a tool and people can keep listening. I'm sure we will film so many more to come. But yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. It was very fun. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no problem.